welcome to the Recover You podcast with Kyleen and Patrick Terhune. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Welcome back. Hey, I'm I'm back. (laughs) Wait, I'm back. (laughs) All right. So in the last episode, we mentioned how I do not address you as an addict currently. And I thought that was, that would be a really good uh, topic to do like a little mini episode on what we feel about the importance of identity and the subconscious mind and how we talk about it. So um, I'll go ahead and start if that's okay. Absolutely. So the way we talk to our subconscious mind is incredibly important because ultimately we, our subconscious mind is what drives our behavior. So we can consciously know something, but subconsciously what our actions, our behaviors, our habits are, are really driven by our subconscious mind. So what's interesting about our subconscious is it, it interprets language in a different way than our conscious mind does. And so when you say I am, your subconscious mind basically takes that as fact. That is who you are. And then absorbs that into your identity. So the more you say, I am something, and I mean, this is, this can be even, you know, common things like I, women will constantly say I'm fat, right? Like we've all done that. We all look in the mirror. We all say something negative about ourselves. The more we do it, the more that turns into a belief. And then the belief turns into behaviors and we just perpetuate this cycle of, of belief, right? Because of this, the way we talk to our subconscious mind. So when we are trying to heal or when we are trying to create new habits or when we are trying to uh, be different than we have in the past, when we're trying to elicit a different end result, then how we talk to our subconscious is incredibly important. Because if you don't actually believe that you can achieve something, you will not achieve it. I mean, that sounds super cliche of like, if you believe it, you can achieve it. But it's also true that if you don't believe it, there's literally no way that you will accomplish it. Because if you don't believe that something is possible, you will not find the proof and the opportunity to take the steps that will get you there. And in fact, you may even kind of pull proof that you can't because you're going to pull proof of whatever filter you have. You're going to pull proof of whatever it is that you deeply subconsciously believe. And so if you believe you can't, then you're going to pull in proof that you can't. And a lot of times we'll even Mm self-sabotage. So identity through this process is huge because you're actually shifting your identity. So one of the reasons I don't like the idea that once you're an you say once an addict, always an addict, or hello, my name is, and I'm an addict. Yes, that's true right at the moment of discovery. And yes, that's true uh, maybe the first couple weeks of sobriety. But basically, as soon as you shift from sobriety into recovery, you're no longer an addict. So pause there for just a second. Why don't you describe the difference between sobriety and recovery? Okay. So sobriety is just uh, specifically you're not doing the behavior. That's all that means. And there uh, there may be particular reasons for that. So, you know, in my case, let's say you don't have access to a smartphone or you have no access to the computer, right? So in that case, you can't do the behavior, right? You just You just can't. And so that's sobriety. But in your mind, you're still like feeling drawn to it and you're kind of white knuckling and you're, you know, you're like, Oh my gosh, recovery would be is that you walk through life, uh, free from any sense or any pull to go engage in that kind of behavior. 
that you can actually walk through what would be considered normal situations and make good decisions. You know, the uh, you had actually said something to me one time where uh, it's the notion of, of can't versus don't. And so like a good example would be sobriety is I can't look at pornography. Recovery would, would be I don't look at pornography. And so that, that is a, I think that's a, a good way of, of thinking that through. You're, you're healthy, you're, you've dealt with your wounds, you aren't stuck in shame, and you recognize your past for what it was, your past behavior for what it was. But now you're using uh, you know, your tools now to process through and become more emotionally healthy. Sobriety into recovery, I think you could also call it, it is an identity shift. It's who I am. Mm -hmm. So when you're in sobriety, you're still living in addict identity. This is who I am. This is what I struggle with. Versus a recovery identity, this is no longer who I am. So when you do can't versus don't, when you say I can't, it's very disempowering. That implies that you want to do something that you are are you can't do because, well, that'll hurt my wife or there'll be consequences or whatever, but I still kind of want to do it. Versus when you say, I don't, you're saying to your mind and your subconscious, I don't do that because that is not who I am. I am no longer the person who does that behavior. I'm no longer the person who engages that way. That is not my identity. So I find that um, these shifts in the way we use the terminology is really important because essentially what you're doing is creating a new identity and you're moving into new habits and new patterns. But if we are constantly using terminology that triggers the old beliefs, the old patterns and the old habits, then we are really kind of holding ourselves back and kind of inhibiting uh, what you believe is truly capable. And one of the ways that we've seen this really manifest in a negative way is the belief in um, sex addiction, the sex addiction world or culture or whatever you want to call it, or in the recovery world even, is the belief that you cannot actually recover without relapse. And I find that to be one of the most negative, uh, I'm going to call it a lie because you have not relapsed. Right. Um, right. And I'm going to put my foot out there and say you won't relapse at this point um and one of the lies that we hear constantly is you are an addict you will relapse i think that is so incredibly detrimental to the subconscious mind of the addict who wants to recover because you literally put a belief into their mind that this is just the way the world works this is just how addiction works and you don't have another choice and again, if you don't believe that recovery without relapse is possible, then what are you going to do? Right. You're going to relapse. That's your pattern. That's your habit. But if you believe that recovery without relapse is possible and you're given the steps to accomplish it, and of course you take it seriously and your heart is in the right place and you want to do that, then you have every possibility of succeeding. Now, this isn't to say that uh, people don't relapse, right? Obviously people right. do. And, and we also don't want to imbue them with shame with this conversation because you know, you teach in your in your groups and a lot of therapists and the model teaches that if you are to relapse, what you want to do is use that as education for deeper understanding and deeper learning of how not to do it the next time. Right. So, so if you were not fully aware of your patterns, if you were not fully aware of your wounding, take this as an opportunity then to identify what those are so that you can put steps in place and, and work on the healing process. But again, even the way you view that 
goes into identity, right? So if you relapse, you go, oh, well, I'm an addict. This is just what happens Mm -hmm. versus no, I am a man working towards recovery. And this was a slip. You know, there's a guy that I follow on uh, Instagram that is a recovery coach and is a recovered sex addict as well. And he has guys track so that they can actually see monthly, like, well, the first month they had 20 relapses, the second month they had 10, the third month. So you can actually see a trajectory of progress. So that's one way to do it. And, And we don't want to impart shame upon you if that is your journey, because that can be very encouraging as well. But again, shifting the identity and saying, no, I'm working towards this. I believe that this is possible. I believe I can get to a place, whether it's right off the bat or eventually through this healing process, where I never relapse again Mm -hmm. is so important. But if you don't believe that's possible, what are you even working towards? Right, right. Well, and I think it's, uh, you have to do kind of a crash investigation, which is what you're talking about. So you don't have to relapse, but if you choose to relapse, well then let's use that as, as fuel to say, hey, what happened here? And it might be that there is, some people have, and I've, and I've experienced this, some people have issues with going to see a therapist. And so, you know, well, we, we have to try to figure that out. What is that issue? What, what, what well, will I'll it take to get you there in because, there? Yeah, because, I mean, I personally have just really struggled going to therapy initially because I had negative experiences mm-hmm. right. before, and it really turned me off to the idea. And a lot of times in the Christian community, there is a really negative stigma. Well, you should be able to pray enough or just go see your counselors at church right, or you right. really shouldn't have problems deep enough that you need to go to therapy or therapies, you know, full of quacks or they're, they're not religious or, you know, whatever. There's You're a not lot trusting of, God enough. Right. There's a lot yeah. of negative beliefs around that right. that obviously we don't believe. We found a lot of healing through it. Yeah. 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 And uh, uh, some folks, and I mentioned this in one of the earlier podcasts, don't see the connection between hard work and results. And because of, for whatever reason, maybe there's been some things that have happened in their lives that that's, that has given them that, that wound. And so you, you know, you have to really yep. try to encourage people again, because sometimes, you know, like the basic thing for our groups is, Hey, if you feel like you're being tempted, you're being drawn, reach out, we're going to call you. And I will say a hundred percent of the time when somebody does that, somebody's getting on the phone with that person hundred percent of the time. But what happens is people don't do that. And so that's one of the questions I always ask is, Hey, what prevented you from, from picking up the phone and reaching out, are you? And and a lot of times with guys are like, well, I didn't want to bother people, mm-hmm. or I thought I had it handled. Mm-hmm. And so it's the you know because sometimes just having the the five minute conversation is enough to to stop that downward spiral. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. And so a lot of uh, a lot of times it's really important to get in there. And you're absolutely right. I've had I've had people you know relapse and they'll they'll talk about how how horrible they are and. They immediately go into a shame spiral, mm-hmm. and so the, the I think the point of the accident investigation is to prevent that shame spiral, mm-hmm. turn it into a learning event, mm-hmm. and then you can do it less and less and less and less. I will say because people told me I would relapse. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, a friend of ours that told me that, and I remember thinking the first time you traveled, and I was here at home alone, or actually, I, and I think I mentioned this to you the other night. Like I was like, well, if I'm an addict then that means I'm going to go crazy because that's what addicts do. And I'm going to be like driving around and I'm going to be like, and I was like, is that, but that doesn't feel like me. You know, like I feel like I'm in much more in control than that, but I was out of control. And, and so you're, you're really struggling with where that ends up. But that's what I'm saying is like, that's the power of our words. Mm -hmm. Had you been told from day one, here are the steps. You don't ever have to relapse. If you do, here's what's, 
you know, here's this little caveat of like, you know, we're not going to shame you and here's how to help you. And you don't have to, here's, here's what you do to never relapse again. You would have been like, great, I'm never going to relapse because that's your mentality. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, that's not everybody's mentality, but that's okay. But I think it does such a detriment to the people that do have that mentality to basically convince them that they can't do it. Right. Right. That's so harmful Mm -hmm. in my mind because you even had this, um, I was maybe like two months in, you had read, we're not even going to name it because it's a horrible book and we don't want to advertise it. Uh, but it, well, we'll talk about it at some point. We will. We'll go into depth. But um, it basically, the whole title, the whole point of the book, um, you know, supposedly is to get you into sobriety. But the whole conversation throughout the book is like every guy is struggling with this. And you, if you are struggling with this, you will struggle with this for the rest of your life. And it was a couple of mi- uh, months into recovery for you where you started doubting yourself. And I... I had learned enough about what you had read and going through this at that point that I actually was like, stop. You are believing that because of this material that you Mm -hmm. read. That is not true because these thoughts and these ideas were undermining your sense of personal power. Right. And that is so problematic. Mm -hmm. You have to read materials and get information that empowers you to take action and know that when you're taking the action, you're going to get the results that you want. And So it just really, I get so fired up about this because essentially what has to happen in order to succeed, and this is on the betrayed side as well, you have to choose what what identity you're stepping into Mm -hmm. and act like that is your identity. But if you are convinced that you, you are living in this identity of addiction and you refuse to change that terminology or that belief, it changes the filter it changes the way you view the world it obviously changes how you view yourself and your capabilities and that will show up in your behavior because your body has no choice it goes thoughts beliefs actions (laughs) like Mm -hmm. that's how that works and so we have to start at that identity level of saying okay maybe I don't feel like this is who I am right now but that is who I want to be and I'm going to choose to take that identity on on the betrayal side you know our our identity our identity is really threatened Right. And we all of a sudden don't know who we are because the life we thought we were living isn't right. And so a lot of times this turns into a lack of self-confidence and self-worth and um, a lot of negative self-talk and things like that about our bodies, about Mm -hmm. our capabilities, about our womanhood, about, you know, all these kinds of things. So there's different ways that we can process this. But one of the most powerful is making a conscious decision a conscious choice to start speaking differently about yourself and to start using more empowering language. So that is not the person that I am. I don't do this. I am. And then fill in the the blank with who it is that you're Mm -hmm. working towards. Even if you don't feel like you fully accomplished that yet, but like you, we moved fairly quickly into you are in recovery. Yeah. I actually, as you were talking, I, I remember thinking, uh, fairly early on, um, and this is interesting because we talked about shame last time, but I'm going to be recovered. I'm going to beat this thing. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, it's not going to be a problem. We may not be together. Like I remember saying that we may not be together. So that were, there was still a limiting belief there. Like I'm not worth, you know, being with after something like this. And, and so I had to, that is probably what took me longer to work through was like, no, I'm actually a catch. Are you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, for it, wait, for who? For me, right? Yeah, yeah. right, right. So you know, you have to you have to work through that. That was probably why it takes so long. It takes 
two to five years because you've got to unpack all of those things. But you're right from a, from a, and I do remember you, you, uh, saying that and kind of correcting me early on because I was getting I, I was like oh my gosh this, you this literally is... were standing at the sink I remember the moment this happened yeah. you were standing at the sink and you go what if this is my life what if I, I excuse me I think you said what if I struggle with this for the rest of my life right and I was like cut it out yeah. that doesn't have to be your reality right right yeah. if you choose for that not to be your reality it doesn't have to yep. be your reality yep. so one book that I would say that I find very good uh, I don't know if you found it great for the addict but um, the Great Sex Rescue oh, by, Sheila, by Sheila Gregor. She has a really good chart in that book. It's my favorite chart, mm-hmm. I think, ever that was ever created. Because um, we might be getting a little off topic here, but she has a chart in the book that basically goes, this is what guys think, and, and the world and church and everybody typically thinks about how guys' brains work. It goes, DEFCON 5, you see a woman. DEFCON 4, you find her attractive. DEFCON 3, you... Um, you know, think something. And then it goes all the way up to DEFCON 5 and you're lusting, right? And like, basically what you're taught is that you get on DEFCON 1, you see a woman and it leads you directly to DEFCON or whatever I said, the order there. It goes from the starting phase to the end and and you're doomed, right? And she gives you this alternative option in this other chart and it says, you see a woman and you go about your day. Like, you do nothing about it. You find her attractive, great. You do nothing about it. You know, you mm-hmm. um, you begin to think about something, you stop and you do nothing about it, right? Like, there's multiple steps before she gets to the last one and she goes, this happens and then it goes to lust, right? right. And so I think tools and resources like that are so important because the way that we are taught is like, it. it I, I very much have, think about the way that we are taught that our brains work. If we don't believe that something else is different, then we're going to fall within that pattern. And I think that that is part of the reason that men and women um, view this a little bit differently. I don't actually, somebody might, you know, argue with me about this. I don't know. Neuroscientists or something can come and tell me that I'm wrong, but you know, women are also visual creatures. And we've always been taught that men are more visual than women, but women are visual too. Mm-hmm. But, but the difference in culture and society is that women are literally taught that that is not how our brains work. Right. We are taught from an early age that that is just not what we do. Men are taught from an early age. That is what you do. Not only is that what you do, but it's normal. And that's just, it's not right. right. It's not true. It doesn't have to be the reality. If you raise a boy because and we did this. If you raise a boy to view a woman as a human being, they view them as a human being. If you raise a boy to objectify a woman, they objectify women. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think so much of it is not actually truth. It is, it is society. It is culture. It is what we are taught, and that is why I think that terminology and identity is so important because it has to be. If you want to accomplish something, you have to feel empowered to do it. You have to feel like you have the tools, the resources, and the capability of achieving that, especially if it's something that you have never done before. I would like to briefly interrupt myself just because when I listened back to this episode, this moment really struck me as I want to make sure that everyone listening understands that I am in no way blaming parenting for adult bad behavior. So obviously I'm not uh, putting any responsibility for Patrick's behaviors on his parents or my behaviors on my parents. Um, When I am talking about our responsibility as parents to raise our kids with the ability to view others as humans, that is a more uh, broad 
thought and my point in this conversation is that as a culture, as a society, and as parents, we need to stop normalizing the objectification of other humans as if that is what your brain naturally does. I do think there is a piece of all of this addiction and pornography addiction that is becoming uh, honestly a pandemic that is um, not just because they are bombarded with the images, but it's also because they are disempowered to think that that's how their brain works and they're not empowered to recognize that they have other choices and that they can always say no. So again, not blaming any parents here. Um, for <laughs> Absolutely not. Every adult is responsible for their own behaviors and actions. And I just wanted to uh, make sure that that little clarifying piece is in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's all I have to say on that. <laughs> Any, anything else about uh, identity that you have found to be important through this process? Yeah, there's actually something, and you and I had a conversation about this last Wednesday night, and I think it's important to talk through. Um, so as I've processed through my own identity, and so I hope this makes sense, but so you uh, were, were cheated on in your first marriage and you moved on very quickly. Um, in this one, you know, through through cybersex, you were cheated on as well. You set up some very clear boundaries uh, that that you expected to be to be handled, um, and so or to be respected, I should say. And so those were really important. So your identity as as a woman of worth um, was strong, was very strong. So my history is. Um, my first, uh, my high school girlfriend cheated on me and my, um, then I didn't date again until I, until I remarried. And there was some infidelity in that marriage as well. You know, and these are wounded people, right? These are wounded people and that's, that's what happens. But you know, those, and, and through that, there was a couple messages like I lack sex appeal and living with you is horrible and all this stuff. And so what that, I think that showed up in me is I absorbed that identity and that became my identity. So when I finally meet, you know, the woman of my dreams, who's, who's, who's that? that's you. <laughs> um, and, and so, and which is everything I ever wanted. And I was amazed that you actually had any interest in me at that point. And so you engage in a, in a self-sabotaging piece, right? You engage in that because of, because of the wounds that are unprocessed. And so my identity was, my identity of myself was much, much lower. And there's a difference between you and I though. So like from a, from a confidence standpoint, me standing up in front of people, walking around with coffee on my sweater, um, you know, those kinds of things, those never bother me. Outside perception yeah. of silly stuff like that, right. you don't have an issue with. Right, right. Yeah, I'll, I, I don't mind looking stupid. I was a mascot in college, you know what I mean, doing stupid stuff. And, and then me over here, I'm like the little people pleaser. I right, want it to right. come off a certain way. Yeah. I like overanalyze what people are going to think about pretty much any word I ever mm -hmm. say. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it takes some time. You know, a lot of folks in Valentine's Day posts and stuff would be like, hey, I don't deserve you and stuff like that. And those are really, but you do, you do deserve love. You do deserve, you know, um, uh, to be with, you know, somebody who deeply cares for you, who is a wonderful person. And, and that takes time to kind of work through that. And that, it kind of hit me the other night. And I was thinking through that about how some of my previous wounding, you know, impacted me all the way through and how you were able to kind of flip that in from a, um, from an overall identity of worth, the worth of your identity. Yeah. So you had high self-confidence, low self-worth. Right. Because the self-worth is at an identity level. Right. I had low self-confidence in a lot of area, high self-worth. Mm 
Yes. And the identity level, just to kind of reiterate what we just said, the identity level is how we end up taking action. So with my identity being that I am valuable and worthy of being respected and all this kind of stuff, you know, I was really confident that, you know, this, that in our relationship, like this is what I would or would not tolerate. Right. Um, but your identity at the core level was like, I don't deserve love. And so that ended up manifesting in totally different ways. Absolutely. It, it, it showed up in how I responded to things and how I, how I dealt with things. You know, I, I, I a lot of, you know, I, I engaged in a lot of self-deprecating humor, which was probably, you know, me manifesting what I believed in myself and, and stuff like that. So, you know, through, through the years, but yeah, it's, it, it was just, it was just an interesting realization that, that probably had to wait till two plus years in to come up and, and, and make me think about it. But I, I wanted to share that since we had talked about that. Yeah, no, it's, it was interesting when we were talking about it. Cause, um, I had never really thought about it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but through your healing process, it is reestablishing the identity of worth and of value. Because, I mean, we believe that every human has intrinsic worth and value because they're created in the image of God. Right. So if we don't also believe that about ourselves, we are going to end up having different beliefs and emotions and values and behaviors that come out of that that we don't want, that are not helpful for our lives. Right. Um, so, yeah. So... I hope that's encouraging to you. Uh, if you find yourself really struggling with that at an identity level, or you find yourself really struggling with the negative beliefs about yourself, or you really find yourself struggling that constantly you're thinking um, negative thoughts about yourself or even saying things out loud, um, we encourage you to, to reach out, whether that's a counselor or a therapist, or I work with betrayed spouses, um, you know, working with somebody that can help you get to the root of those and transition them and step into the identity that you are working towards and that you want, because that is totally possible. And that's been part of, um, part of our recovery is, Absolutely. is that transition. Yes. I want everyone to feel empowered. I want the betrayed spouses to feel empowered and I want the addict to feel empowered. I think that is so important because when you are empowered and have others believing you and you believe that you can accomplish something, you're going to be so much more likely to accomplish it. Yeah. There's, there, there's such a beautiful life waiting for you. If you go through this and and really work on this, I mean, you know, even for the, even for the addict that's done the worst of the worst, there's, there's beauty ahead of you if you work on it. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.